0: Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Chapter 126 Planning for Greatness. Basil II, son of Romanus II and a true Macedonian by birth, came to the throne of the empire in 976 AD. His brother, Constantine, was nominally his co-emperor, but the youth, still in his mid-teens, was both unsuitable for leadership and completely uninterested in it. Basil, though still only eighteen himself, was a completely different animal. He was very interested in ruling and was determined to achieve greatness. Basil's father had been the epitome of tall, dark and handsome. Basil was quite the opposite. He was stocky and short. He wore a thick beard and it was impossible to tell beneath all the facial hair what he was thinking. It was said, though, that his eyes shone, demonstrating an unusual force of will. He would have to use this will to great effect in order to impose upon the empire that a true Macedonian was going to lead with the skill and success of his usurping predecessors. It could be said that although the Macedonian dynasty had been hugely successful since Basil I had taken the throne in 867, all of the most successful emperors after the founder had actually been usurping generals. Basil II would have to break this trend. Before he could have any chance to demonstrate his abilities though, Basil II would have to deal with Bardas Sclerus and Bardas Focus and get his own court in order. There were quite a few fierce battles between the forces of the two Bardases, but nobody was quite sure he was winning. In 979 they fought for the last time. The battle seemed to be going against Bardas Focus, so he challenged his rival Bardas to single combat. Amazingly, Sclerus accepted, Amazing because, as we know, Bardas Focus was known to be able to kill a man with one swing of his sword. Well, Bardas Focus swung his sword and hit Bardas Sclerus. The blow didn't kill him, but he was badly wounded and ran away into Saracen territory. The rebellion was over. Basil did not sleep too well though, because after all, both rebellious Bardases were still alive. For the next six years, Basil II gradually took hold of the empire. In 985, he sacked Basil the Caponus because he thought the Chamberlain was out to get him. Basil II was probably right. There were plenty of grounds for the sacking anyway. Basil the Caponus was notoriously corrupt. Nobody was really surprised when he was seized and all his property confiscated. He was then exiled and was not heard from again. Now he'd got rid of the Chamberlain, Basil needed to finally take full grip on his throne by having a great military victory in Bulgaria, a man who was rising who would give him that chance. The youngest of the four brothers who controlled what was left of the Bulgar lands was called Samuel, and Samuel decided that he'd declare he now ruled the whole Bulgar Empire. He assumed the title of Tsar, and then invaded northern Greece, sacking some important cities. Basil was outraged at the invasions, but he probably secretly was pleased that he could lead an army in battle, His rule and reputation would be untouchable if he was proven to be a great general. The campaign was, of course, a complete disaster. Basil besieged the Bulgar city of Sofia, but completely failed to take it. He gave up and trudged home, but as he was marching through a mountain pass called Trajan's Gate, his army was ambushed by Samuel's Bulgars. The emperor escaped to the capital, but his army was cut to pieces. The Emperor was humiliated and arrived in Constantinople in disgrace. Bardas Sclerus heard the news and decided it was time for another rebellion. Bardas Phocas heard the news and decided it was time for another rebellion. The Bardases realised they wouldn't succeed separately, so they agreed to join forces. It was clear that Phocas had more support than Sclerus, so it was agreed that Phocas would be the leader and Sclerus would be the number two the empire's territories would be split between them. After agreeing this though, Focus changed his mind and had Sclerus imprisoned. He then marched through Asia Minor with the armies of both Bardases behind him on the way to Constantinople, sure that he could defeat this inexperienced and useless emperor. But Basil showed some of the cunning and intelligence which were to serve him well in the future. He contacted the Russian prince Vladimir and offered him the hand of his sister Anna in marriage. The important people of the empire were horrified that a member of the imperial family was to marry a barbarian prince, but Basil was determined and Anna was packed off to Kiev. In return, Vladimir sent 6,000 of his best troops, called Varangians. He also converted himself and his people to Orthodox Christianity. Then Basil unleashed his force. One night his men crossed over the water while the navy sprayed Bardas and his forces with Greek fire. Focus's men woke up to find themselves being savagely attacked by axe-wielding Varangians and were soon ankle-deep in their own blood. Very few escaped with their lives. Basil was not known for being merciful, and he showed why. The army commanders were all hung, crucified, or impaled on spikes. Basil was so impressed by the Varangians that he created a new personal bodyguard made up entirely of these men. In the future, the Varangian guard always made up only of Russians, Norsemen and Englishmen, would serve the emperors loyally. Bardas Phokas was not beaten though. He escaped and a few months later he finally met Basil's army in battle. Basil was a much better general by then and the battle began to go his way. Bardas Phokas again decided that what had worked before could work again and he challenged Basil to single combat. The soldiers watched on in amazement as the massive general mounted his horse and charged at Basil. The Emperor stood his ground, showing no fear. Bardas got nearer and nearer and still Basil held his ground. Then, amazingly, as Bardas charged, he suffered a huge stroke and fell off his horse, dead to the ground. His army fled and were chased and slaughtered by the Varangians. Only Bardas Sclerus was left and he was being held as a prisoner by Bardas Focus's wife, He was quickly released and tried to lead yet another rebellion, but he was too old and weak. Soon he came to Basil and asked for peace. Basil laughed at Sclerus. Is this old man truly the one I have feared for so long, he said. Look, he can hardly walk by himself. Basil though was unusually merciful and he let the old general live. At last, Basil had defeated all of the enemies within the empire. There were no more rebellious generals left to deal with. Basil had spent the first 13 years of his reign being beaten by the Bulgars and dealing with rebellions. As he looked at the empire, which was now completely his, he vowed he would have his revenge on the Bulgars and would never be beaten in battle again. The reign of Basil II is the very high point of the greatness of the empire after the original Muslim conquests. Basil won battles from the Danube frontier to the Euphrates and from Italy to Armenia, He expanded the empire more than any emperor since Heraclius and left it strong and wealthy. It's a shame that none of his successors was good enough to build on what he created until it was far too late. All this seemed a long way off though in 989. The emperor had spent the early part of his reign fighting off rebellions from his general and losing badly in battle to the Bulgars. He'd begun to show his intelligence and cunning by making friends with the Russians and he also realised he had a large and very powerful army ready to use. Not only this, he still had 6,000 very, very frightening Varangians which he could add to it. It was time, thought Basil, to start getting his revenge on his Bulgar neighbours. Now, we've met some emperors before who thought carefully about things and made sure they'd planned everything before putting their plans into action. Basil II would beat them all. He learned from the disaster at Trajan's Gate and was determined he would never, never be beaten again. He knew what was needed, planning, planning, and more planning. Actually, then more planning, and a look at the plans to make sure the planning had been planned properly, and then more planning, then a bit more planning. Basil II was the master of planning. He was also clever enough to realise it wasn't just battles that needed planning. The rest of the running of the empire must be efficient and just if the people were to support him in wars against his enemies. After he defeated Bardas Sclerus, Basil asked the old general his advice. How, he said, can I make sure there are no more rebellions? Sclerus looked at him seriously and said, Never let the powerful lords take too much power. Exhaust them with unfair schemes and taxes to keep them busy. Don't let any woman in on your plans. Don't let anyone get too close. Share your plans only with very few people. Basil listened to the advice and thought it was good. So good that he kept to it throughout his long life. Not since Septimius Severus gave his final words to his sons had such simple advice been given. Unlike Caracalla and Gedda, though, Basil was wise enough to realise he needed to take all of the advice, not leave out the most important part. It worked very, very well during his reign, but one part of it would be partly responsible for the collapse of the empire fifty years after his death. Basil never married, and so never had any children. When he died, there was no son to carry on the Macedonian line. There was only his useless brother, and he only had daughters. The rebellions of the thirteen years since Basil had come to the throne had caused the empire's neighbours to think the empire was weakening and they could start invading again. In the east, riots had broken out in Antioch, and in the west, the Bulgars had taken the important city of Berea. And this is where the planning started, and it's where Bardas Sclerus' vice began to be taken. Basil didn't even start thinking about taking on the empire's enemies until he'd sorted out the aristocracy. He put in place a new law which stopped them taking lands from the peasants and building up large estates. The law was called the New Constitution. It started with these words, The New Constitution of Basil the Young, by which are condemned the rich men who amass their wealth at the expense of the poor. All land taken since the time of Romanus Lecapanus had to be handed back to the peasants, and had to be handed back without any compensation. Throughout his reign, Basil enforced the laws very vigorously. The wealthy lords couldn't stand Basil, but he made them too weak to do anything about it. The people thought he was wonderful, and their lives became easier. As their lives became easier, there was more time for learning and art, and during the reign of Basil II, culture and education thrived, even though the emperor himself had very little interest in it. Basil supported many intellectuals in many different subjects, and research thrived in Constantinople during his time on the throne. Basil had no disagreements with his patriarchs, and his reign was a time of peace within the Orthodox Church. Only one section of the population remained for him to win over to his side, the army. Fortunately for Basil, Although he was short and stocky, he was physically strong and a brilliant horseman. This helped him become popular with the army, but they were irritated that he was fanatical about discipline. There were endless inspections in which Basil looked at every man, telling them off if their uniforms were not perfect or if any button had gone unpolished. It didn't take too long though for the men to realise that all this discipline led to one thing. Victory. As soon as Basil and his well-trained army began to win every battle they fought, The soldiers realised their leader was right. Before long the soldiers respected him enormously, and then soon they came to love him. Despite being popular with his soldiers and the people, Basil was never really loved in the Empire as a whole. He did a lot to make things better for everyone, but he was not a warm, friendly and charming man like John Simiski's. Basil was humourless and could be ferociously strict. He had no time for rebels or corruption and he was happy to execute people whenever he thought it was necessary. Like some other great emperors before him, he was powerful, wise and just, but also just a bit scary. But soon Basil was ready. It was time to start what he had spent so many years wanting to start. It was time to take on Samuel and begin the process of crushing the Bulgars forever. In the years of Basil's distraction with internal rebellions and recovering the military, Samuel had extended his rule from the Adriatic Sea to the Black Sea. The Bulgars had recovered most of the lands which had been Bulgarian before the invasion of Sviatoslav I of Kiev. Samuel also conducted damaging raids into imperial territory, as far as central Greece. This had to be stopped, and Basil knew it. But Basil wasn't like other commanders. He was Captain Slow. He was going to make sure of victory before the battle even began. He was going to plan his victories and execute the plan to perfection. He was going to be a great general on the battlefield, but he was going to make sure he couldn't lose before his men even saw the battlefield. In the early campaigns against the Bulgars, this is exactly what happened. The army would be arranged like a solid tower. The lines of communication between the infantry and cavalry would be unbreakable, No soldier was allowed to be a hero without permission. If anyone tried to be a hero without orders, he was immediately thrown out of the army. The advance of Captain Slow's forces was like a flow of molten lava. It was very, very slow, but there was no way it could be stopped. The tactics worked and worked well, but the progress was slow. Over the first five years of the campaign, there were victories, but they were small victories. Basil's strategy was effective, but it really was very slow. There were very few large battles. Basil took on Samuel at his own game, hiding out in the mountains and only attacking when he could definitely win. During these five years, the Bulgar raids into the empire were stopped and a few towns were reconquered, but not a great deal changed. In 955, Basil finally had to do something different. In the previous year, the Fatimid caliph Aziz had started to make advances on Aleppo, The local emir had appealed to the governor of Antioch for help, but the governor had been defeated by the caliph's army. The caliph sent a message straight to Basil, saying that both Aleppo and Antioch were under threat. By the time Basil got the message, Antioch was on the verge of surrender. So what did Captain Slow do? Did he plan for months and then very slowly advance into Syria taking care to be slow and careful? Well. He might have wanted to do it that way, but Basil knew that Antioch would be lost if he did. So he did the exact opposite. He had 600 miles to march in order to save the great city, so he managed to get his hands on 80,000 mules and mounted his entire army. Not only that, he gave every man two mules, one for himself and one for his equipment. The imperial army marched through Asia Minor at high speed and were under the walls of Antioch in just 16 days. The Fatimid armies were taken completely by surprise and were cut to pieces. Basil put a new governor in place and told him to keep the city safe by raiding Arab territory every year. Splendid stuff and it worked. Antioch was never threatened again during the reign of Basil II. On his march back through Asia Minor, Basil was cheered by the people and given huge banquets by the aristocrats. As we know, Basil wasn't too fond of all this. He preferred to eat simple food with his men, and it just made him even more convinced that good old Bardas Sclerus was right. Basil enforced his land laws, the rich became a bit poorer, and the poor became a bit richer. While the Emperor had been away though, Samuel had been busy. He'd taken the governor of Thessalonica prisoner, sacked the theme of Hellas as far south as Corinth, captured Durazzo, and raided into Dalmatia and Bosnia. His tactic of t- charging in, raiding and then escaping to the safety of the mountains worked like a dream, and his army was hardly ever defeated. He only suffered one big defeat, to the general Nicephorus Uranus in 996, which caused him to stop raiding for a while. Samuel, though, as Basil knew, would be back. Basil paused in Constantinople in 996 to appoint a patriarch and receive some envoys from the west. The young Western Emperor Otto III had decided it was time he united his empire with the true Roman Empire, so he sent word to Constantinople that he wanted an imperial wife. He was only seventeen at the time, and fortunately for him, there were two girls who were ideally suited to this marriage. Basil's brother Constantine had two daughters, both born in the purple, and Otto said he didn't much care whether he married Zoe or Theodora. Either would do. Basil was keen to have Otto as an ally, and so he agreed. Zoe, poor for a janitor, would marry Otto. Unfortunately, Zoe will be the third person in our story who has trouble with marriages. In 1002, she travelled west to the court of Otto for the great wedding. By the time she got there, Otto was dead. Poor Zoe trudged home, still unmarried. It would be another 26 years before she finally managed to have a wedding. At last, though, Basil could turn his attention to the Bulgars and plan their destruction. He realised he needed some help. The far-off lands of the coast of Dalmatia and what is now called Albania were difficult to control and, when in enemy hands, were very useful for launching ships. Basil concluded a peace treaty with the Republic of Venice. He came to an agreement with the leader of the Republic. The doge Pietro Orsiello agreed to fight with Basil in return for Venetian merchants being allowed special trading rights with Constantinople. The Venetians took the whole Dalmatian coast and ruled it as imperial territory for Basil. So, now he was ready. Basil II was about to become Basil the Bulgar Slayer. Next time, we'll find out exactly why he's called the Bulgar Slayer. So, until then... Have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.